We are in, I can't believe it, week seven of our Anatomy of a Christian series. And uh, I don't know about you, but just personally, I've loved diving into God's Word through this lens. It's been a lot of fun uh, just to kind of explore and uh, discover God's Word uh, through a specific lens, and that is uh, the anatomy of the believer. And so tonight, we're going to be, we've been, let's see, we've done the body, We've done the mind, the heart, the eyes, the mouth, the ears, and tonight we're going to do the hands. The hands, right? And what's interesting to me about this, as you start to look um, at, for a theme between you know, each, each uh, week, is that there is a little bit of a theme of there's an intake, right? Our eyes take in things. Our mind takes in things. Our mouth takes in things and also puts out things. Um, Our ears take in things, but our hands do not. Our hands are for output. And so I think we're going to kind of turn a corner tonight as we look at this shift from intake to output. Because our hands, that's what we see when we start looking at the Bible. We see a lot of action. There is no intake, just action. And so what I want to do at the very beginning is give us a quick overview. Because like I said, every week... Um, I just told the team this afternoon, we could probably literally do a month series on every single part. And so what I want to do is I want to give you a little overview. And so I want to split it up just to kind of get us going. We're going to look at God's hands, Jesus' hands, and our hands. Just to get, well, that's just going to get our, our runway and then we're going to take off. So these are going to be on the screen. I'm not going to read every scripture, but I want to us to take a look at how the Bible talks about God's hands first. We see four very distinct descriptions of God's hands. The first one is his strength and his protection. All right, in Isaiah it says, I will hold you up with my victorious right hand. And then in Isaiah 40, 12, it talks about the sovereignty and power of God. Where Isaiah writes, your right hand, O Lord, smashes the enemy. I like that one. Right? It's, it's strength, it's protection, it's sovereignty, it's power. And then we see the hand of God as favor and blessing. That when the hand of God is on a guy like Job, it says, you have blessed the work of his hands so that his flocks and herds are spread throughout the land. Because God's hand of favor and blessing was on Job. And then we see in creation, not just in Genesis, but in Psalm 19.1, where it says, the heavens declare the glory of God. And the skies proclaim the work of his hands. And so God's hands are busy. They're busy protecting. They're busy uh, sovereigntying. That's not a word, but we'll go with it. It's, he's busy blessing and giving favor. And he's busy creating. Now Jesus' hands, we see a whole bunch of stuff, but I, I just came up with four categories of when, number one, we see his hands healing in Luke 4.40. It says, at sunset, the people brought Jesus all who were sick, and he laid hands on each one of them and healed them. And then we see Jesus giving blessing in Mark chapter 10, verse 16, where all the children are coming to Jesus, and he lays his hands and blesses them. And then in Matthew 8, verse 3, we see a very stark moment. Because there's a man with leprosy. And in this moment, he says, do you want to be willing? He says, I'm willing. I want to be better. And Jesus lays his hand on the leper and says, be clean. And that's not just a healing, but his hands were used for compassion 
and for comfort. Because we see time and time again, Jesus does not need to physically touch someone to heal them. We see this all the time, right? Someone can touch his robe and they are healed. He can speak from miles and miles and miles away like this and they're healed, the centurion's son. But in this moment, Jesus lays on his hands on a leper, someone that no one would have ever touched him because he was ceremonially unclean. But Jesus touches him with his hands and he's healed. So it's a, it's, it's a gesture of compassion and comfort. And then lastly, we see redemption. Isaiah 53.5 in the Old Testament predicts the redemption of, of humanity by saying, but he was pierced in his hands for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him. And by his wounds, we are healed. And so you see Jesus healing, blessing, showing compassion and comfort and redeeming us with his hands. And then we got to turn and look at our hands. What does the Bible say about our hands? Well, in Deuteronomy 16 and 27, it very clearly says that our hands as humans can create both evil and good. In Psalm 134, 2, it says, lift up your hands in the sanctuary and praise the Lord. Like some of you in here, you see people raising their hands when we worship God. They're, like this should not be strange, but it is. I remember when I was in high school, middle school, I was like, do I, do I, what do I do? What? I'm like Ron Burgundy, or no, uh, not Ron Burgundy. Uh, who am I thinking of? Ricky Bobby, what do I do with my hands, right? There's music happening, what do I do? But this makes sense, because the things that our hearts are passionate for, football, we respond with our hands. We applaud, we lift them when there's a touchdown, and so it just makes sense that in church, as we worship God Almighty, that we might just raise our hands in praise. I'm not saying you have to. I'm just explaining for those who are wondering why we do that. That's why we do that. And then we see, so we, we create with our hands, we worship with our hands, and then thirdly, we work with our hands. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. You see, throughout the Bible, hands symbolize many things. But tonight, what I want to focus on is the phrase, the work of your hands. The work of your hands. We see that phrase all over the Old Testament specifically. The work of of your hands, because if we go all the way back to Genesis in the garden, and if you go on, on our website, you can look at this series. We did a whole series on work, all right? We're not redoing that talk tonight. But one of the things that stuck out to me when we did that series is that there's work in the Garden of Eden before sin. That work is not a result of the fall of humanity. Adam was working the garden before sin. And you see, before sin, what Adam was doing, the work of his hands, was kingdom work. He and God were, were talking every day in the garden, and Adam was working the garden. And so he was in communion with God. And then we have sin and the fall of humanity. And ever since then, for the most part, what humanity's hands have been working at is destruction and oppression. When you look across our world, what we have, the work of our hands as humanity, 
If you're a student of history, it's not a pretty history. And so as Christians, what we are tasked to do from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, is that we are to rejoin the Lord in his work. And we are to redeem the work. To work with him, not against him. And so that's the work of our hands. And so we, the church, and you, the Christian, are the hands of Jesus to a hurting and broken world. That's why it matters what we do with our hands. Because we have been given work to do. You see, the work of our hands should always be pointing to the cross, not us. And this is, if, I want to frame this up like, what I'm, what I'm trying to bump up against here a little bit is our culture of, look at this guy, right? Going on that mission trip and taking a selfie. Look at me, serving Jesus, right? Because I think innately in our culture, it's, it's look at me. Like my kids do this all the time. Dad, watch this. Dad, watch this. Dad, watch this. I got five of them, so take that. I mean, just, oh my gosh. Right? Like, they want to be seen, and that's great because I'm their dad, and they love me. And they... But what we naturally do is say, hey, world, watch me. Because I want you to think well of me. And as Christians, our job is to point to him. And say, look what he has done for me, therefore I do for you. And so this is going to be an attitude of the heart. Right? Every week they interchange, right? Everything's connected. So as we work, the work of our hands is going to be, it's going to start with the attitude of the heart displayed to the work of our hands. Because the work of our hands is a response to what Jesus has already done for us. We're not simply telling the church, the Christian, to be the Red Cross. Right? We're to be the Red Cross, but we're actually pointing people to the cross. We're not just doing it to do it. We're doing it for a purpose. Because we've been given a purpose and a mission and a calling that the work of our hands would point people to Jesus. And as we do that, we do two things. We meet physical needs and we meet spiritual needs. But as we walk through tonight, what you're going to see is we have to meet the physical needs first most often so that they can see and be open to hearing their spiritual need. And you see Jesus do this over and over and over. So Ephesians 2, 8, 9, and 10. Here we go. This is Paul, he's writing a letter to the church in Ephesus, and he says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourselves, it is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. For we are God's handiwork, created in Jesus Christ to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. Like this section right here is the gospel of Jesus Christ, in three verses. Number one, It is by grace you have been saved. You are saved because of God's favor for you. Undeserved favor. It is not you. In verse 9 it says you aren't saved by good works, but you were saved for good works. Right? We don't work really hard and and do good stuff so we can earn heaven. Right? That's, That's earning your salvation through good works. No, no, no. You weren't saved by your good works. You were saved to do good works, to be the hands of Jesus to a watching world. And then verse 10, it says, we, have, um, we are not just God's handy, we're, we were created in Christ to do good works. And catch this, which God prepared in advance for us 
to do. You see, we have not just been redeemed from sin, but we have been redeemed for a mission. Because I think if, if I were to roll back the clock and look at little Andy when I first gave my life to Jesus when I was like seven years old, because I didn't want to go to hell, that was it for me. I just made a commitment. I, like, I signed the contract. I was like, all right, God, I believe in you. I believe in Jesus. We're good. We're done. Because I wanted to be saved from something. But I think as Christians, we stop short, and it robs us of the joy of our salvation. Because we've not just been saved from sin and the consequences of sin, but we have been saved for something. And that's what Ephesians 2.10 is saying. And what that something is are good works that God has prepared in advance for you. Did you ever think about that? That God, who is sovereign, has already set up good works for you to do. I, I like it this way. I like word pictures. Um, all my kids, well, most of my kids, they play sports. And at least two of them have played baseball so far. And they always start with t-ball. Okay? And so in, in Ephesians 2, 8 through 10, t-ball version is, for it is by grace that you are on the team. You, are, you do not deserve to wear the uniform, but I love you. And so I'm going to do the work for you. You're on the team. Come on. And he gives us a jersey. And he gives us a glove and a bat. All right? And then he says, for we are God's handiwork created in Jesus to do good works. We're not saved just to sit in the dugout and have a kumbaya prayer meeting. We were saved to go play, to get on the field to do good works. And this is where T-ball comes in. Verse 10, for which God prepared in advance for us to do. Not only as Christians are we on God's team, undeservedly so. And not only is he telling us, hey, let's go out in the field. He has set up a tee and put the ball stationary on that tee. And he hands us the bat and says, I'm ready. I have set it up for you. Swing away, dude. That's, guys, that's, that's our faith is that we're not just saved by grace, but we're saved for something. And it's already been prepared for you in advance. We can't stop short. Too many, and it, just in my opinion, too, we, there's just too many underutilized Christians out there. Because we're so focused on all the other stuff that we have forgotten our mission, the work of our hands. We're so worried about the things that on your deathbed you will not care about. The mission that has been set out for us by God himself. And here's the crazy thing. Is we kind of, when we lose track of our mission, according to Ephesians 2, to do the good works that God has already set out for us to do. What ends up happening is we do two things. Um, we kind of get lulled to sleep in our faith by the American dream. That the purpose of my life is to get more, earn more, and be more. Like it's not what I said a couple weeks more. Do more better. That's the American dream. And it's never stopping and it's never ceasing. And it's constant and it's anxiety producing and it's weary and it wears you out. And just like Cole read earlier, he says, come to me. I've already got the T-ball thing set up. Let's go. Let's play ball. Because here's the deal. 
when we know the mission that we are for, that we were created in Christ for, and when we know that God has already set up in advance good works for us to do, then all of a sudden, the work of our hands does not become arduous. It becomes exciting. Because we are living expectantly. Like, do you trust that Ephesians 2.10 is true? Think about this. Is it true? Do you believe not only you are saved by grace, but you are saved for a purpose? And that purpose is good works, and those good works have already been set up for you in advance by God Almighty. You see, he's working in and around us. He's got the T-ball set up here, and he's got one at work, and he's got one in your neighborhood, and he's got one in your family. He's got one on the way to work. And so here's what I want to talk about. As a Christian, this is my first point tonight. I know that's a long setup, but we're going to get through this quick. As a Christian, you are an agent of redemption. When it comes to the work of our hands, you are an agent of redemption. Now, let me explain that. The word agent is defined a person who acts on behalf of another person or group. A person who acts on behalf of another person or group. Right? When I think of an agent, I think of secret service. Right? They're not living and working um, according to what they want to do for their purposes. They are an agent with a very specific mission. And that mission doesn't come from them. It comes from somebody much higher than them. Or maybe for you it's a sports agent. You're like, the sports agent is the one that goes on behalf of the athlete to get the biggest contract possible and to get just white M&Ms in the, in the room, right? Before the concert if it's a musician. Like the agent is working on behalf of another. And so as Christians... We are agents of redemption. 2 Corinthians 5.20, Paul writes, We are therefore Christ's ambassadors, agents. As though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Guys, this, this verse blows my mind. Because what it is saying is that we are Christ's agents. We are his secret agents in this world. And he chose in his sovereignty and in his goodness and his grace and thank goodness his mercy, he chose to make the appeal through us. You're his plan A to bring redemption to a watching world. To bring the gospel of Jesus Christ in every way possible, whether it's the actual sharing of your faith or it's just actually redeeming this world. Working for the good of others, that they might become redeemed to Jesus Christ. Philippians 3.20, Paul says, we are citizens of heaven. And in Matthew 28, in Acts chapter 1, Jesus, our king, our savior, the one that we claim Christian, we follow Jesus. He tells us in Matthew 28, in Acts chapter 1, you will be my witnesses to the ends of the earth. Go make disciples. That's your mission. That's my mission. It's the good work that he has set up for us to do. You see, because we've been restored to God as Christians through the death and resurrection of Jesus, we've been now given the task of taking this message to others. You, as a Christian, are an agent of redemption. 
You're an agent of redemption. Have you ever thought about yourself that way? You're a secret agent. And you've been given a task. I have been given a task. And that is to give the redeeming message of Jesus Christ in every way possible, spiritually, physically. We're agents of redemption. So how do we do that, you say? Great question. There's a lot of ways, and I can't list them all here, so here's what I came up with. See a need and meet a need. That's how you live out the life of an agent of redemption. You see a need, whether that is physical, emotional, spiritual, and as best as you can, you meet that need. Meet that need. You're driving along the road and you see some guy in the corner holding a sign. Meet that need. You've got a neighbor that needs help with something. Meet that need. I've got a gal in our office. Admire her and her husband greatly. They practically do this and they've flipped over their lives to do this. To be agents of redemption because they are fostering two kids. And they started about a year ago, and man, has it been a wild ride. Some good, but mostly just wild, not in a great way. But they are redeeming these kids who have a family that is broken and messed up, and they're giving them a home that, where they're loving them and caring for them and, and teaching them who Jesus is. They're redeeming. They're agents of redemption. They saw a need, and they said, for us, we're going to meet that need. So swing away. God has put the ball on the tee. And when we think about seeing a need, honestly, it usually starts with a physical need. When you see the miracles of Jesus, he's meeting a physical need because he wants to tell them about the spiritual need. But when their tummy is grumbling and they have leprosy and they're blind, it's going to be hard to hear the gospel of Jesus when they're hungry when they're hurting, when they're oppressed, when there is injustice. And so we, as agents of redemption, we step into the moment. We don't shrink back from it. We see a need, and we step in, and we try and meet it as best we can, not for our glory, but for the glory of God. You see, the work of our hands as an agent of redemption is joining Jesus and making all things new. And that means loving, serving, and fighting for all those Jesus died for. My second point is that as Christians, as agents of redemption, you are not alone. You're not alone. You're not a, a rogue agent all by yourself. It, like God is not the kind of God who says, hey, good luck. You got the uniform on? Good luck to you. No, no, he says, let's, let's walk together. Let's go together. In Philippians 2.13, Paul writes, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. Guys, it's God that's working in and through you. You are not alone in this endeavor. The God of the universe who set the ball on the tee is walking you up to the tee. It's like, right? You can just imagine dad getting behind the kid like, all right, let's swing. He's with you and he's working through you. You're not doing this on your own. Not only that, but from a community perspective, the author of Hebrews writes in, in Hebrews 10, 24, and let us consider how we may spur or encourage one another on toward love and good deeds. The work of our hands, good deeds. How do we do this? 
We do it through small groups. We do it through gathering groups. We do it through getting coffee with one another. We do it by coming together and having church and singing and raising our hands and praying for each other. Like, think about this. All the ways that we do this, this thing called good deeds and living out our faith, the author of Hebrews is saying, do it together. Encourage one another. Spur one another on towards love and good deeds. Encourage, cheer each other on. And what dawned on me was, as we get together in small groups and gathering groups and over coffee and as we get together at church, as we corporately worship, our hands are always involved. I don't know about you, but when I pray, I pray. When I want to encourage somebody, I use my hands. Right? We use our hands to encourage. And we also use our hands to celebrate, like I said earlier. We lift our hands and we celebrate together. God, you are so good. Thank you. But it's also in the, in the midst of community that we ask questions that help spur good thought and um, purposeful mission, mission conversations. So let me give you a, a very tangible example. So I think a lot of small groups, whether it's a small group or gathering group or coffee or whatever, one of the first questions we ask each other is, how are you doing? Right? Like, that's what I ask when I get home. Taylor, how are you doing? Kids, how are you doing? Like, that's a natural question, but sometimes I think we stop there and we don't ask the better question. What is God doing? Because in Philippians 2.13, it says, for God, it is God who works in you. So we need to add to that repertoire of coffee or small group or gatherings. Like, not just how are you doing, but what is God doing in you? Because you are not alone. And we have people around us in our small groups, in our gathering groups, our friends that we can lean on to cheer us on, to encourage us, to pick us up when we're tired. And so you're not alone as an agent of redemption. You see, the work of our hands is not a lonely endeavor but one that leads to connection both with God and others. And lastly, as a Christian, your work should be seen. Your work should be seen. Now, I want to be very careful here. What I'm not saying, I'm not saying the opposite of what I just said a few minutes ago. What I'm not saying is you should go out and let everyone see how wonderful and good you are. But on the other hand... You can't sit in your closet or in your living room and swing away at the good deeds that God has prepared for you. And so there's got to be something in between, right? Matthew 5, 15 and 16. Jesus says this. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds, and glorify the fa your Father in heaven. You see, Jesus himself is saying, hey, go do it so that they might see your behavior and give God glory. It's not a, hey, look at me. It's a, hey, I'm going to love you. Look at him. Because this is why I'm doing it. We're constantly just, go. it's him. It's about Jesus. God is good. He is a good father. Jesus is my savior. It's about him because he has saved me and he has given me grace and treated me with gentleness and kindness and goodness. I'm going to treat you the same way. He has met my greatest need and so I want to meet your greatest need. 
Let me give you a, a, a good heart check question because I think that if you're anything like me, um, whether it's raising your hands at church and you're like, I remember when I, when I was in college, I was like, I probably should do this because I'll, I'll look holier if I do this. My heart wasn't right in doing that. And I think in a lot of ways, the way that we serve, the way the work of our hands is also a heart check. So here, here's a challenge. If you, you want to really endeavor this and say, hey, I want God, give me the good works. Help me do this. Serve someone, meet a need for someone, and tell nobody. That's how you make sure your heart is right. Don't tweet about it. Don't picture it. Don't post it. Just serve. Because the only two people that need to see your good deeds are the person you're serving. Because they will thank God for you. And the Lord. Because he is with you in it. So meet a need. And don't tell a soul. Don't tell your small group. Just between you and the Lord. Like God, I'm, I, I hit that one out of the park. But I'm not telling anybody because it's not about me. It's about you. Because I know the temptation here is, at least for me, again, I don't want to over-identify the way I process things, but I think sometimes we hesitate and we doubt ourselves. Like, who am I? I'm not a pastor. How, how, can, I, how can I live out my faith and talk and, and share the gospel and, and memorize verses and share it? Like, like, how do I do that? I, I'm, you know, whatever. Well, newsflash, I have the same insecurities, like, ah, who am I? I'm just, I'm just a guy. They don't want to hear from me. They're probably going to not listen anyway. And No, no, here's, here's the problem with this. As we are agents of redemption stepping into our mission, not alone but with others and with God, we got to take our eyes off us. Because what does Ephesians 2.10 say? It is God who is setting you up. He's already working. And what keeps us from actually living out the exciting part of our faith. Because this is the exciting part, right? This is the everyday mission impossible. You're the agent and you're trying to figure out what the mission is. You wake up every day like, all right, God, what do you got for me? The biggest hurdle is me. My fear, my insecurity. And so what that tells me is I'm looking at me. I'm thinking about me. Versus trusting what Paul says in Ephesians 2.10. That he has created you for this moment. And it's not the big ones. We all want the big one. Right? We want the big showy. Like, no, no. He's created you for the little stuff. Like, like one thing I can't wait to, to do in heaven is roll back the video and watch Jesus on all the small interactions that aren't in here. And I, 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 get, I'm, I can't wait to see what did he do. Some of you may feel like I'm not qualified. You don't know my story. You don't know what I've done. Guys, that's the voice of the enemy. That's the voice of the enemy. Trying to convince you that that ball on the tee, you can't hit it anyway. You know what? Even if you, like, let's just take it to a real example. Like, my kids, when they first started playing baseball, they never hit the ball on the tee. They hit the tee. But you know what happens? The ball moves. So even as they fail, they get to run to first base. And so, guys, we can't, we can't just say, I'm not worth it. I can't do it. I'm not qualified. Because I want to turn you to John chapter 6. Don't turn there right now. Just think, this is a famous, if you've been in church, you know this story. It's the feeding of the 5,000. 
right? Jesus is teaching. Everybody's getting hungry. Their tummies are grumbling. And the disciples are like, what are we going to do? It's going to take way too much money to buy everybody food. And lo and behold, there's a little tiny boy. And he's got five loaves of bread and two little fish. And he says, here you go. This is what I got. And Jesus says, that's all I need. And Jesus takes the five loaves and the two fish, and he feeds 5,000 men. That doesn't include the women and children that were there. And there was leftovers for dinner. You see, God will use what you have if what you have is his. Whether it's this much, this much, or whatever, God will use what you have as long as what you have is his. You're yielded to him. Say, God, this is my money, but it's now yours. And that may not be what I want to do, but if that's what you want me to do, then I will do it. It's a yielded heart. I'm saying, God, I will do what you've called me to do, and I will do it the way you want me to do it. It is yours. And when we give him our loaves and our fishes, he will feed 5,000. He will do more than you could ever imagine when we step into obedience and say, hey, I'm just going to do it. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't think I'm qualified. I don't think I can, but here we go. You just watch not only how God works, but how your faith will get lit on fire. Like I promise you, because you're an agent of redemption, and that is what God is all about. He is about redeeming the lost, setting the captives free. And he wants you to be a part of it. God, there's, guys, there's no greater joy. There is no greater joy than walking in obedience and watching God turn fishes and loaves into 5,000. Because you're like, God, let me be a part of that. Let's do it again. I want to go to bed quick so we can do it again tomorrow. And your faith becomes, is your faith boring? Is your faith Flatlined? Start living out Ephesians 2.10. And I promise you, you start living in such a way that is yielded to God and you obey. You meet that need. You will start seeing your life and your faith light on fire. You see, the work of our hands is work that is seen by a watching world for something different, something better than this world has to offer, and that is, that's Jesus. He is better. And our world is dying to see it. Our world is dying to see Christians live Christianly. They're dying to see people who claim Jesus actually follow Jesus. Instead of setting up my own t-ball game over here. The world's dying for it. And so here's where we've been. As a Christian, you are an agent of redemption. You are not alone and your work should be seen. So what do we do with this? Number one, I just want to ask a question. What would you currently say is the work of your hands? If you were to look at your life and you look at your time and you look at your, I don't know, your schedule book or your bank account, whatever, what are the work of your hands? What are the good works that your hands are actually spending time on and energy on? 
Secondly, I want to encourage you to ask God, what would you have me do with what you've entrusted to me? Like he's given you something. Gifts. He's given you talents. He's given you a certain wiring and a certain personality. And he's given you a certain job that gives you a certain paycheck. What has he given you? And what might he want you to do with it that would come together with his purposes that we would be agents of redemption in this world? And then lastly, this is just a flashback. I want to challenge you to see a need and meet a need. Because we can do that tonight. We can do that tomorrow. We just have to tune our eyes Sorry, God, help, help me see the needs. And as Nehemiah in chapter 6, verse 9 says, strengthen my hands for the work. Strengthen my hands to do the work that you have called me to do. Because, guys, in the end, our goal is to be faithful followers of Christ, not famous followers of Christ. That is not our goal. That is nowhere in Scripture that everyone would see you and think much of you. It's that people would see us and think much of him. And we do that by seeing needs and we meet them. So let me close with this. Gathering, what would it look like if we took Ephesians 2.10 and put it to memory and we put it to practice? What would it look like? If we put it to memory and that every day we woke up looking for the good works God has prepared for us that day. And we would pray to God, strengthen my hands for the work today. I promise you that job you hate all of a sudden becomes increasingly meaningful. And that apartment complex or neighborhood you live in starts to look like <laughs> t-balls everywhere. We serve and we care for and we fight injustice for the sake of someone else because Jesus has done that for us. And in doing so, your faith will be lit on fire. For we are God's handiwork created in Christ to do good works which God prepared in advance for us to do. So tomorrow morning, what might it look like if you woke up in the shower, prayed next to your bed or on your drive to work, that you would pray, God, open my eyes to see the good works you have prepared for me today and give me the strength in my hands to do the work. Let's pray. God, I want to thank you Man, just for the gospel. Jesus, that you did the work. It is by grace that we are saved through faith, not our own doing, so that no one can boast. We've been created in Christ to do good works that, that you have beforehand set out for us. God, if there's anybody in here that has not believed upon the cross of Jesus Christ, for their salvation. God, I pray that you would not let them leave tonight without doing so. That they would not ignore the nudge 
that they have right now. And God, for those of us who are Christians, who are following you and who surrendered our life to you and who have yielded our life to you, God, I pray that you would open our eyes to see the needs of a hurting world and that we would step bravely into that moment as scared as we may be and we would trust you that you would use us as an agent of their redemption. So God, I pray you'd challenge us and that you'd work in us and through us. In your son's name, amen.